Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to Seriously, the New Statesman podcast that takes pop culture seriously. I'm Caroline Crampton. And I'm Anna Leskovich. This week we're talking about the film Tully and the Netflix original Dude. Anna has also listened to the Bright Sessions podcast for the first time, so we'll be hearing how that went later in the show. Hello. Hello. Welcome back to another episode of Seriously. It's been a pop culture filled morning for me, Caroline. Last night, the video for Childish Gambino's song, This Is America, appeared on the internet. In 24 hours, it's had 10 million views, which is crazy. Which is quite a lot, yeah. (laughs) It's been a huge discussion point, I think, because it's quite a jarring and violent video that kind of jumps between tones. So you have Childish Gambino, Donald Glover, one moment being really kind of like performing delight and being really effusive and dancing and doing all these kind of exaggerated facials and doing all these kind of exaggerated facial expressions and other moments he's stony faced he's talking to camera and he's just like shooting people in the head yeah it's amazing and it's being read very much and it undoubtedly I think is intended as a comment on gun violence and police brutality towards black people in the US and so on. You know, the whole refrain of the song is just like, this is America. Like These Mm. horrible things happen in America. Don't pretend they happen somewhere else because they happen here. And yeah, it's just, but it's this amazing cocktail of different motifs and like all the like different dances that he's referencing and his own like performance in it is just straight up amazing. And the whole thing's been shot to look like it's one single tracking shot around this massive warehouse as well, which is really interesting. So um, yeah, I'm really glad to see that it's getting so much attention. Yeah. And it's totally also about, I think, that experience of what it's like to to live in a culture that is one second throwing entertainment at you and the mm. next violence and how those are the two those two spectacles, entertainment and violence, are basically the pillars that are propping up American society. And you can just like, you're on that jump in tone is sort of like what how I feel sometimes when you're reading the news on your phone and it's like Chris Chrissy Teigen clapped back blah, blah, clap back to whatever um clapped back I can't speak today <laughs> Chrissy Teigen clapped back at this person on Twitter and then the next thing there's a school shooting mm, like yeah. it's this very weird just jumping between two kinds of experience constantly um 
yeah and so it's really jarring and kind of horrible to watch and so i can't say i like enjoyed watching it but it's a clever um kind of comment on where we're at societally and then one other thing that i really enjoyed uh, consuming this morning in that vein <laughs> is the met ball uh which had a catholicism theme this year um and as usual was full of people either really committing to theme or absolutely just putting on a nice dress and like wearing a crucifix <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah so the theme i think is like heavenly bodies mm -hmm. catholicism something and something because that's the big exhibition that the met is celebrating and yeah some people went full on i will dress like an icon from a medieval <laughs> painting like lily collins was one of those people um and then some lana del rey as well like fully fully had symbolism all over her in this yes. weird 3d way it was bizarre madonna herself dressed like madonna's been dressing for decades in yeah. like black fish netted sort of faux demure veil all that madonna stuff. is the reference for, for yeah. this kind of theme i think um, and but then performed. some other people like i thought scissor looked absolutely amazing she was wearing this sort of like rosy purpley chiffon thing but she just had a sort of halo on her head and I was like... Mm. The halo was a popular one, but I thought Scissor looked great because she had loads no, of adornments on her face she didn't look stuff. very Catholic. Maybe, but I mean, she was doing so much more work than like the Kardashian Jenners. Like <laughs> Kim Kardashian came in a gold dress with two crucifixes on it. Chris Jen uh, Kendall Jenner came in like a white pantsuit thing that was just normal. Yeah, but I never Ken expect much from them, from them on this regard. <laughs> they wear things that maybe look amazing for their bodies and stuff but they don't necessarily lean hard into the concept it's literally there's no concept at all behind it um i i enjoyed scissor wasn't the only one with that kind of halo effect lana del rey had one Li lily collins you mentioned she had one um blake lively who was wearing mm. this like absolutely enormous dress had one um my favorite of course rihanna dressed fully as the pope yeah that was fantastic <laughs> just as a silver glittering pope with like a mitre and everything absolutely incredible um i loved what greta gerwig was wearing which yes. was just this enormous voluminous nun type thing i thought some someone on twitter <laughs> described it as um maria before she gets worn down yeah. by all the children in the sound of music and i was like yeah that is what she would wear oh, i love a sound of music reference i need one of those every day um yeah just some really some really beautiful stuff going on um by the people who fully committed to theme love it mm. respect it i quite it. liked what lena dunham was wearing actually she came in like a full gold elizabethan dress mm. which she kind of had the rough yeah sort of vibe yeah i also really enjoyed on the cut uh patricia lockwood and her mother reviewed yes. all the dresses this is fabulous i will link to it in the show notes because even if read. you haven't really looked at any of the pictures it's just very very funny um because Patricia Lockwood, if you don't know her, is a poet and she wrote a memoir called Priest Daddy, which is all about growing up with a Catholic priest as your father uh, in a large family in very like, religiously conservative way. And yeah, she and her mother had some strong thoughts about the ways in which Catholicism was being portrayed in all of these mm -hmm. outfits. Yeah. So that was amazing. Anyway, what are we talking about this week? So yeah, the first thing we're going to talk about is Tully, which is a dramatic movie written by Diablo Cody, who you may know as the screenwriter for Juno and among other things. Uh, it also stars Charlize Theron. 
and it focuses on Theron's character of Marlo, who is a stressed out mother expecting her third child, and her developing relationship with the night nurse they get once the baby is born, who seems to have an uncanny ability to solve all of Marlo's problems. It's a Diablo Cody written and Jason Reitman directed movie. And the the two work together as writer and director on Juno and also on Young Adult, which also stars Mm. Charlize Theron, if you've seen that. So I was quite excited about this film. And it kind of opens with a pretty claustrophobic montage of new motherhood that involves, you know, lots of... I think maybe the very opening scene, if I, you've seen it much more recently than me, Caroline, so do correct me, but I think maybe the very opening scene is like the car, the, the school run. It's Marlo taking her two older children, Jonah and Sarah, to school. Jonah has some kind of undiagnosed behaviour problems, maybe you mm-hmm. would call that, but no one, you know, they don't ever he doesn't have a kind of proper diagnosis or anything like that. He's just, quote, like a problem quirky child. And he just finds loud noises startling and like sometimes has tantrums and he's kicking the back of her seat incredibly hard. Like so hard, I was actually worried that she was maybe going to go into labor. Um, And her daughter Sarah is yelling as well. And it's just, I mean, I don't have children. It's just exactly the kind of thing I imagine what would happen if I did? You know, it looks awful. Yeah, it look. It's a great contraceptive. Those opening <laughs> scenes, and there's a whole there's a whole sort of montage of the sh- the struggle she has with the youngest newborn child, um, and then with the other two kids as well. And then at the end of this, these sort of sweaty, claustrophobic, hideous long days that are just constant screaming children and stress and mess get, and like poo everywhere and yeah. just general horror also we should point out that she does have a husband like she's not doing this on her own there is a husband but for whatever reason he's been allowed to kind of slide into this role of like the guy who goes to work and like kisses her on the forehead never gets up in the night to help with the baby seems to like play halo a lot or whatever mm. with his headphones on and just sort of leaves her to it exactly so at the end of these long days that are sort of a montage of you know hideousness you get him coming home and saying like oh frozen pizza for dinner great yeah oh my (laughs) god i wanted to kill him in that moment and he's actually not really a villain he's not Mm -hmm. painted as a villain at all but it's that kind of carelessness that just undermines an entire day of stress and work and Mm. the the difficulty of uh, and the isolation like even your husband just doesn't understand how difficult it is because he's not actually there to see those long hours um and so it really character who would to his friends describe looking after his kids on a saturday as babysitting Mm, definitely but he's 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 caring in other ways and he he's clearly concerned about his wife's mental health and he asks you know how she's doing and he's very keen to you know pay money for this night nurse to help out the family marlo's brother is extremely wealthy and has a sort of picture perfect skinny wife and three children and she suggests he suggests the night nurse um so that's where this kind of quite luxurious middle class idea comes into this fairly working up to lower middle class home and it seems like a great extravagance but after a lot of stress seemingly they go for it and tully appears at the door 
and she's just kind of everything that you would want in that situation she's she's young and she's got loads of energy and she's exuberant but she's very caring and she speaks in a very kind of calm tone and she's very um subservient and suppliant and she just is like i'm here to look after you and that involves looking after the baby and Mm. also maybe making some cupcakes for your kids to take to school and she there's just no detail that goes ignored by tully um, and then as the film goes along, her her role in the family becomes more and more intense. And then there's kind of a third act. Um, I think we should, because I would like to talk about this, but I think also it helps if you're going to see the film to not know what happens mm-hmm. in it. So let's say heavy spoiler warning from here on. So yeah, go on, say about the third yeah, act. Yeah, there's kind of a third act twist. And as Caroline says, I would go in not knowing about it. But Tully's involvement in the family becomes more and more intense. And then all these signals start to appear that actually this relationship is maybe not what it seems because, you know, they go on a road trip together and that seems very odd. And uh, she starts to try and reinvigorate their sex life by having sex with the husband in a little waitress's outfit. And you're like, okay, this seems a bit much. Mm -hmm. And then you start to wonder whether Tully actually even really exists outside of the mind of Marlowe. Yeah, and that's, in the end, what you come to realise, that this is basically Fight Club, but with diapers. Um, (laughs) And that she's essentially... uh, And it all comes full circle when, you know, she has a car accident when she thinks she's in the car with Tully and actually there's no one else there. And when she's in the hospital, you see her husband giving basic details to the... Uh, to the nurse or whatever and she asks oh what's her maiden name and he says Tully and you're like Mm. oh okay so it was actually just a projection of her younger self or what she hoped her younger self was like or what she herself could be like again the whole time Mm. and she'd been alone all all that time that the, the cupcakes and the brilliantly clean house and the great sleeping and all the rest of that that was all her she was mm-hmm. she was both of them and she'd like worked herself into total exhaustion um and yeah then like runs off the road and nearly dies um so yeah that is essentially the film i didn't really like it very much that's interesting it's had really good reviews yeah i found and it quite uncomfortable what did you find uncomfortable about it well i think it sort of presents having this kind of serious mental health problem as like an almost natural consequence of having a baby Mm. in a way like I think well no that's not quite right but I think it conflates like what I think gets called like postpartum depression or like baby blues with something totally different yeah a psychotic break which is having a psychotic break where you are like envisioning other individuals that talk to you Mm. and I don't think the two really have anything to do with each other, but this film sort of suggests that they do. It's a bit ambiguous as well, isn't it? Because it was actually not clear to what extent that Marlowe is actually convinced that there is this real person, Mm. Tully, in her home and speaking to her and to what extent she's projecting a persona that she wants to live up to and to what extent she's saying, "Well, well, like, if I was here and I was 20 and I had energy, maybe I would be able to stay up all night and like make these cupcakes or maybe I'd be able to 
um, put on this cute outfit and please my husband. And whatever that it's that at no point do we actually get, which I think is to the film's benefit. And at no point do we actually get a sort of explanation from Marlowe saying like, well, this is what I thought was happening. No, that's true. So you can kind of read it in two ways. You can read it as like her genuinely having a full, as you say, fight club style hallucination where she's not, she's not remembering what she's doing when she's quote Tully. And she has no concept that other people don't think Tully is real, but she's obviously living her life in a way that her husband has managed to not cotton on that this is happening. Mm. So it can't be as simple as it seems, but I really struggled with it too. Um, and as the reviews have started to come out, I've started to feel like maybe I'm a a bit in a minority, but I really liked the first half until the twist. I thought, I thought it was a really good portrait of how difficult motherhood is. And we're really having a moment, I think in culture at the moment where motherhood's getting reconsidered because we've got things like Tully and we've also got, um, things like Sheila Hetty's motherhood, um, Jacqueline Rose has just done a mm. book of essays called Mothers. There's another film coming out with Dominic Cooper and Gemma Arston called The Escape that's all about how difficult motherhood is. Even A, a Quiet Place was about this in a mm-hmm. way, wasn't it? You know, it was like reimagining horror from a parent's point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, one thing I did quite like about this film, but maybe others with more direct experience of this would feel differently, is that I thought the way it portrayed the relationship between Marlo and her son Jonah was quite good. Mm-hmm. You know, in that it didn't like label him as anything in particular. She herself gets really angry when teachers at the school try and like call him quirky. And she's like, what does that mean? What are you saying? What what are you saying is wrong with him? No one is ever able to tell me what what is wrong with him. Um, and they have this really nice ritual where she sort of like gently brushes his skin as a way of like calming him down. And that's really nice and stuff. So I thought that that was a really good aspect of it. But as you say, that kind of comes in the first half. Um, yeah, I was not remotely expecting the twist, though. I will say that for the film. Um, mm. If anything, I was expecting a like, you know, they run off together in a carol kind of esque way. Yeah. I mean, I was expecting the twist to be that this woman wasn't really the night nurse because there are some clues that are dropped that mm. that she didn't ever actually follow up on getting the contact details for the night nurse and yet the night nurse has appeared. So I thought the twist was going to be like, oh, this Mary Poppins-esque figure actually just came of her own accord and you didn't ask for her. She just arrived. Yes. Um, uh, you know, that I did think of that actually because there's a few um, Agatha Christie stories that pivot on that where like for the whole way through you're assuming <laughs> yeah. that someone is the detective and actually at the end they're like, no, I never said I was the detective. You just assumed I was. Yeah. I wondered if it was going to be that yeah but no and I think I I just struggled with how literal it took the idea that you know you might as a as a mother wish to have some of that younger energy back Mm. I found it a a little it's just it really hit you over the head with the metaphor in such a way that I was like okay what's left after we after we take that metaphor out of the equation what what else is the film actually giving us? And I think the answer is quite a nice, complex portrait of motherhood at the beginning. And then in the second half, not we didn't actually gain much more that wasn't no. kind of effectively told in the beginning. And so for me, I'm like, I wonder what the what the point was of that twist other than to kind of like shock you in the watching of it. Um, yeah, I think that's true. 
And I also think that it's a little, whilst, yeah, there were some good aspects of this film and you can dissect it in the way we just have, I think it's a little bit sad that you have to latch onto a film as flawed as this, as like, wow, portrayals Mm. of motherhood are really improving, you know, just because it does show you, like, I think at the beginning, some good stuff about the realities of like trying to dispose of nappies and like Mm. being awake Mm. in the middle of the night and not being able to get your baby to like shut up when you're trying to drive and all this kind of stuff, which I'm sure lots and lots of people really identified with that on screen. Mm. And in the same way that Juno showed you lots of things about like being a, a teenager and being in love and dealing with difficult decisions without having to introduce any kind of supernatural element Mm. or anything like that. I sort Mm. of wish that you could make a film about motherhood like that. Mm. Yeah. Well, I think, yeah, go and see The Escape with Dominic Cooper and Gemma Arterton because that's kind of what that is. (laughs) Mm. Um, But yeah, not, not the best movie of all time. No. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So the next thing we're going to talk about is Dude which is a Netflix original film written and directed by Olivia Milch. It stars Lucy Hale from Pretty Little Liars as Lily. She's a high school student dealing with the death of her best friend's brother and the changes coming in her friendship group as the four girls finish school and move on with their lives. Now, for me, movies about um, young women coming to terms with uh, their own mortality and the fleetingness of the kind of impossible joy of their late teenage years... uh, sign me up got my name written all over it absolutely (laughs) will devour a film like that having said that i think this is the worst film of all time thoughts yeah (laughs) 
<laughs> and it has what been like widely criticized as such. There's a very funny BuzzFeed piece that I will link to in the show notes that kind of goes through it frame by frame and is like, and here's another way in which this film is the worst of all time. The thing that I immediately found bizarre about this film going through is that there is no narrative structure. Mm, no, there isn't. <laughs> There's just no momentum. There's no forward movement. So in the first few minutes, it's like, oh, we're all at um the the we're all at prom, but we've still got a year left. So we're with like the older kids at their prom. Mm. And Lily is with this like super handsome boy who's her boyfriend. They're in love. And it's also the brother of her best friend. Uh, his name's Thomas. Uh, and then he's like, God, I love you two girls to the, to his girlfriend and the, his sister. And then it like slowly fades to black and we hear what I suppose is meant to be the sound of a car crash, though they never go into any detail mm. about whether. And then he's like dead and they're at the funeral and it's super, super weepy and it's super sentimental from the off. We never, ever learn. Thomas's death is like the big thing that overshadows the whole movie. We never learn how he died, which I think is a bit weird. It's a bit weird. Yeah. And then also you assume that he died, I think, because of some clues in the narrative, because this is a big kind of like female stoner movie that he died driving under the influence. That's what I assume. Yeah. But then they all drive under the influence constantly. All the time. It's like... Unquestionably. I mean, one, one of my big problems with this film is that the four main characters, the four like girls who are the core friendship group, pretty much all of them, their main personality trait is driving while smoking. Yeah. And I'm like... like that is it. I get it. It's If boys can do it in a movie, so can girls. Great whatever but like not everything is inherently feminist just because it was done by a woman and like driving yeah. under the influence is not a good thing to do like just fundamentally and if their really close friend slash brother slash love of their life died under the influence you think they would take this stuff a bit more seriously but then we never know because we never get key details like that so yeah and then I think this is a this is a film where clearly they were like, oh, we need some like young, pretty, hot girls to do like masculine th things and talk about their like vaginas, and then it'll be like feminist and also titillating, and we can like put a film round that. Mm. So there's loads so of scenes like that where they're kind of saying like, oh yeah, how many dicks did you have in you, slut, or oh. something like that last night, and you're like cool but like none of these people have personalities or motives or characters so what what's the yeah. point i think it is worth noting that i found it interesting that the script for this was on the 2013 blacklist um which if you're not familiar with the concept is this sort of um like now quite famous register of unproduced scripts that are kind of bouncing around hollywood and they get published on this thing called the blacklist because I've forgotten the name of the guy who creates it, but basically the guy who curates it is like, these scripts are good, but they are not yet produced. I'll put them on this list to like highlight annually what talent there is in Hollywood that isn't currently getting pushed out to viewers. And so this was on the 2013 blacklist. And I think this was written in the like, wow, broad city. Totally. Like girls doing weed. Female stoner comedies can Females, be a thing. Yeah. And somehow from there it's now ended up on netflix five years later yeah but broad <laughs> city is obviously sense. so good because it's about like it's characters about that stuff. you know immediately like the characters in it are so much larger than life they have a friendship that you actually buy into and so all the silly stuff around it makes sense and also it's like got a plot each episode mm -hmm. for example which this doesn't have one thing i found particularly frustrating about this film is how 
all these women who are what I don't what what age do you graduate high school in the US 17 18 17 18 I think it's the same as here yeah. so they're all teenagers and they all behave like tiny adults and they the, all look they, like tiny they adults all look like well. tiny adults as well yeah and uh, you know it really it really bores me to to have like really conventionally attractive Hollywood women talking about sex as a way to be like feminist because it's also clearly aimed at like titillating audiences some of mm-hmm. the stuff that's going on in this but um you know and there's you could say like oh this is a, a diverse film because one of the four main women is black and one of the four main women is asian but it's like that's not <laughs> it, it's, it's still kind of tokenism because the two lead characters are obviously white and ob- those are the ones that you're obviously invited to mm-hmm. actually engage with and have characters they're and stuff. the ones that have the serious emotional drama i think literally the only time i laughed in this whole film was when the um uh, the black woman and the asian woman are like oh let's find lily and chloe you know our token white friends right and i was like that's funny because actually it's the other way around yeah it's kind of but it's, again, this it's movie one is of those things you. like in sherlock where they get a female character to be like i'm not just a female stereotype <laughs> and you're like you can't have it both ways you can't have your character say that and then also them be that like they have <laughs> yes, to not exactly. be that to get away with saying that um yeah but i re- it really frustrated me how they're all tiny adults there's been no all of them are super super confident even if they have like underlying insecurity issues somewhere in their lives they're all super confident they all talk to adults as though they're their peers mm-hmm. they all um have incredibly adult sexual relationships not just in that they're having sex but that they have like an adult understanding of what relationships and yeah. consent and all these other things are they have incredibly um adult conversations about like psychoanalyzing each other and about their emotions and they're all like totally mature enough to talk about things that are worrying them like none of them have I mean I'm not I'm not one to patronize teenagers but it just doesn't tally with my own experience of what being a teenager was like in the slightest and I never knew any teenagers like that when I was growing up I wasn't one of them and I didn't meet them and I have no idea who these characters are at all it's just bizarre to me in that regard, it reminds me a lot of, and uh, I don't think you ever watched it because you're younger than me, but The O.C., which... Um, no, I did. And it is kind did, of yeah. like that. It reminds me like that of that in the sense that everyone in The O.C. was like an adult, essentially. But they're all already. even quippier than that. It's like that on yeah, steroids. Yeah, it's worse than that. It's... But at least in The O.C., you, they kind of explained away the fact that they all just used to drive themselves places all the time and drink and drive mm. and stuff by the fact that they were really wealthy. Mm. And that was kind of like the get-out-of-jail-free card to explain any stuff they did. And they have Whereas... done that a bit in this. They are all yeah, rich, but it's just... It's too much, though. It doesn't explain it away. And it's more like, you know, the the, the way that they speak to their teachers and stuff mm. like that is just so baffling to me. It's just... And the, the completely bizarre, unacknowledged plot where one of their teachers is it's like... It's in a relationship with a student and that's just yeah, fine. And that's just fine. That's um, bizarre. That's, again, the sexual politics of this film are incredibly, I think, regressive, considering this is yeah. meant to be an outspoken feminist movie about, like, girls with sex lives and sexual agency. Mm. The ma- One of the main key plot points in this film is that Lily is raped at a party, like, literally fully raped. Yeah. And it's a horrible scene and you watch her get raped. And then afterwards, not one character has the balls to call that scene a rape scene. Like they at no Not even point, her. She calls it goals-oriented sex. Yeah. And it's like, fine, I'm happy for a lead character in a movie to get raped and not be able to come to terms with it and not be able to speak it like that and not be able to 
you know, to uh, or maybe suppress it and brush it off as just like a regular but bad sexual experience, which is what the lead character does. But none of the other characters really in- engage with it. It's used as a way to kind of escalate the underlying problems in the movie, i.e. the the st- strains within the friendship. It's used mm. as just a, a catalyst in which to bring out the strains within the friendships. But the film fundamentally doesn't have the courage to call its own rape scene a rape scene and that really bothers me because again it's having your cake and eating it too Mm. and this is all this is this political stuff is kind of beside the point as to why it's such a bad film because it's a bad film because it has no character no plot (laughs) no momentum no empathy you know it's it's got nothing to it but I think if you're going to market a film essentially around its politics, which is what this film is doing, then you better fu- like have the fucking balls to also make sure that yeah. it stands up to what it's selling itself as, which this film doesn't at all. It's so embarrassing. No. Um, that said, I think I can think of one specific way in which you might want to watch it, which is if you're in that state of hungover yeah, you'd have to be so hungover you literally can't get out of bed i can imagine watching this and quite enjoying it yeah like that but it's really it's meritless but it's meritless and if your brain is like functioning on more than 20 percent capacity you will it will make you so angry you'll want to stop watching yeah So last week, Caroline recommended that I listen to The Bright Sessions, which is a podcast, a fiction podcast that, as its premise, takes the idea of people having these therapy sessions, which are, quote, for the strange and unusual. Mm. And I listened to the first two episodes of The Bright Sessions, series one. It's now, I believe, on series four. So I imagine it evolves into something quite different to what I've been listening to. Yes, it does. It moves out of the confines of the therapy room. Yeah, I would. I'm I'm kind of envisaging a storyline where all the patients that you get to know through these one-on-one sessions begin to know each other. Yes, that's sort okay. of what happens. They've just that's... done their fiftieth episode, and I think they're actually quite near the end. I don't think they're going to be producing any more of it. Um, but yeah, the fiftieth episode was in best Buffy the Vampire Slayer tradition, a musical episode. <laughs> Funny, brilliant. Oh, I'm really. I would love to hear that. So yeah, it, it's interesting because with it by the end of the first episode you realize that the patients um are basically patients with superpowers Uh um they've got weird things going on um so the first patient that we hear is a woman who time travels um involuntarily so sometimes i think maybe when she's stressed it seems to imply but might not be the case she just kind of goes pale fades away and disappears and you can't see her anymore and then for her she's like ended up with the ancient greeks or in victorian Mm. london and the second patient we had um was this guy who's basically like a hyper empath who is feeling the feelings of other people um and there it's it's an interesting format because the yeah the therapy format allows them to kind of talk about the the nuances of um their superpowers but in quite a character driven way so it never becomes like full of exposition in an awkward way it's more in a like they're talking about how their powers make them feel and so you get a really kind of like nuanced look Mm. into how their powers function Uh, but it never feels you know like in most superhero movies it's always a bit like so wait he swallowed the gargantagon and now he you know it's always (laughs) a bit 
exposition driven and horrible. Um, so it's not like that, which I really enjoy. And I guess the most obvious parallel would be to Misfits, which was the Channel yes. 4 um, look into these kind of young offenders who, what does lightning strike their community center or something yeah. and they all get and then superpowers. they all become supercharged essentially yeah yeah so they're all like normal different backgrounds but all kind of ended up in a position where they're kind of struggling in society enough to be doing community service um so yeah that's what it reminded me of and i am quite intrigued but i can imagine that it's grown into such a different show now that I'm kind of, I'd be, I'm intrigued to know what direction it's going to go in. Are they going to team up and try and solve the world's problems or are they going to become persecuted against in society? Or I just, I'm curious and because there's so many directions you can take this premise into. Yeah, well, I'm not going to tell you where it goes, but it does <laughs> definitely, it moves away from the sort of one-on-one therapy format. And yeah, definitely the different people who have all consulted Dr. Bright do like, meet each other and start doing stuff and that kind of thing um yeah so I think what happened was that uh, Lauren Shippen who writes and stars in it she wrote the first season almost as like an experiment for herself I interviewed her once and she said because she's a she's an actress and she kind of moved to LA and was trying to like make it in the movies and she wasn't really getting that many auditions and she's like well in the meantime I'll just write something that me and my friends can be in Mm. and that'll be fun and we'll do it as a podcast because you don't have to get loads of equipment and all that kind of thing and then as it sort of took off and she got more ambitious with it I think she moved away from the format that was sort of somewhat restricting it to just being like patient doctor stuff Mm. yeah okay well that's interesting I look forward to seeing where it moves on to but for next week so yeah for next week we are going to take a listener recommendation And this comes from Alana, who wrote in to seriouslypod at gmail.com to say, as you are both good old fashioned Harry Potter fans, you should be aware of, if you aren't already, the new app Harry Potter Hogwarts Mystery. It's just been released and I've yet to play it myself, but in the tech world, it's been hyped aggressively for weeks now prior to the launch. Would love to hear what you think. Yeah, So so this is a kind of like choose your own mystery style adventure sorry, choose your own adventure style mystery <laughs> um, where you pick up, you become a person, you become a student of, of um, Hogwarts. You get to kind of like design your character, you get sorted into a house, you get, you know, you choose a wand, etc., And then you turn up at Hogwarts and um, your brother went missing in mysterious circumstances years before and so you're kind of in a Harry Potter way, whispered about in the corridors. And, right, I see. Um, so you've started it, but haven't got very far. And I haven't tried it at all yet. Yes. Yeah. So I'm really in the beginning stages and I've just turned up at school and I've done a couple of lessons. But you can, it's very choose your own adventure style in that it will, you'll talk to, say, Professor Flitwick and then you know professor flitwick says you don't seem like one for the rules do you anna and then you can be like reply no i'm not or yeah actually i try really hard to follow the rules or i'm more interested in finding my missing brother (laughs) (laughs) so you can and then it every answer you give changes you know you've got like 
percentage determinism, percentage sympathy, percentage. So your character changes according on the answers you give and that and that dictates how your story goes, essentially. Well, that sounds interesting. Sadly, it isn't exactly what I hoped, which is what I've long wanted is Harry Potter Sims. Um, yeah. When will they make Harry Potter Sims? It's definitely closer to that than any other thing they've done. Where I can build like my own house in Godric's Hollow and... I think you might just stuff. need an arts and crafts set for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, just get you some bog rolls, some toilet roll tubes and some paint. <laughs> I wouldn't nuts. be averse to that. That sounds fun. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Seriously, the pop culture podcast from the New Statesman. If you enjoyed the show, why not subscribe to make sure you never miss another episode? We're available in all the usual places you get podcasts, including on Apple Podcasts, where you could leave us a rating and a review if you fancy. It makes us happy and it also helps other people find the show. If you'd like to come and see us in person, check out the events page of our website, seriouslypod.com slash events. Details of our next pop culture quiz and anything else we're doing will appear there. We're available many other places on the internet, including on Twitter, Facebook and Tumblr. We're Seriously Pod on all of them. Follow us to keep up with what we're up to or to chat to other listeners about things you you've enjoyed on the show we love getting your recommendations for things we should feature on the show or hearing your thoughts on what we've already discussed get in touch on social media or email us on seriouslypod at gmail.com and if you feel strongly that more pop culture needs to be taken seriously spread the word and tell your friends and family about the podcast planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options buttery soft italian leather bags and so much more and it's all priced at 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands plus quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices pack your bags with high quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with quince go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365 day returns Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.